I'm like, well, okay, I'm starting a new series next week. I don't want to start it this week. So, Lord, what do I, what do I share? And the Lord says, I just want you to take a couple of things. That's what he told me to do. And I want you to talk about some things you've learned in your 40 years of ministry, just things that will help the people uh, through the years. So I want you to open the book, the book of Acts, chapter 14. <laughs> Acts, chapter 14. I'm going to preach a real, a, maybe a passage you haven't really ever looked at, uh, but Acts, chapter 14. And actually, this is one of my, uh, it's up there as one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, to, to encourage me in ministry and in life. Um, you know, I talk about doing 40 years of ministry, but I've been a Christian for 42 of those years. I've been married for 38 of those years almost. Uh, Sharon and I, as many of you know, we, we kind of walk through this every year. I met her uh, around June 20th. I decided I was going to marry her on June 27th. I proposed to her on July the 4th. We got married on August the 8th. We left for the mission field on August the 15th. So, um, yeah, so summer is, was a whirlwind for us. And uh, we didn't even hardly know each other, but we loved Jesus. We did love Jesus. And, uh, and, and we loved each other. And uh, and we worked all the other details out. You know, I, I, seriously, if you love the Lord and you love each other, the rest is just details. It really is. It's just details. It's just working. And, and look, I, I know people have been engaged for two, three years, got married, and had all kinds of problems because they didn't work the details out. Sharon and I, we were forced, we just seem to work out the details better when we're, when we're committed to it and we're already in it. It just seems to work out better for us. But... Um, I pastored for 30, let's see, 36 years now, almost, 36 of those years, and uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I, I figure it's like this. You either learn and grow through it, or you give up and die. That's it. I, I have, look, I have two words I use in my life. I succeed or I learn. I succeed or I learn. You say, well, what about failure? I learn. And see, when you learn, then you don't make the same stupid mistakes you made before. Anybody made any stupid mistakes? Oh, sure, we all have, right? But, but when you learn, see, I never talk about being a failure. I never talk about failing because what I'm doing is I'm in a constant state of learning. So this passage in Acts 14, this is uh, just, I'll start here this morning but uh, a great lesson that I learned, and I actually learned this from Dr. Bob Lemon. And uh, Dr. Lemon, he didn't teach this to me personally, but uh, I was on in Amesville, Ohio in about 1985, which the dates probably don't mean anything to you guys, but I was helping a church there, and I, when I was, they had a bunch of tapes, and I was listening to these tapes, and Dr. Lemon was doing this sermon, and he was preaching uh, out of this passage, and, and this message really helped me a lot. Uh, and knowing about being a Christian and also of being in ministry. Verse 19, if you'll look there with me. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, he wasn't dead. They supposed he was dead. But Paul was doing what God told him to do, and he got the snot kicked out of him. Thanks for your enthusiasm. I mean, he really got in a bad situation, wouldn't you agree? I mean, he got stoned, not in a good sense. I mean, in a really bad sense. I mean, he got beat up. 
and everybody thought he was dead. But I want you to look at this next part. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he got up. He got up. And I think that's powerful that he got up. And you know, we hear a lot about that, but I want you to look at that next line. And he went back into the city. And you talk about craziness. That's crazy that you would get up after these people just, just tried to kill you, have had enough of you, and, 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 and he didn't go back in secret. He went back into the city and he started preaching there. And if you read on here in this passage, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, and they preached the gospel to that city and all kinds of, I mean, that could have been the end of his ministry right there. So my first point is always get back up, always. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Bible says, but out of them all, the Lord will deliver them but not unless you get up. If you don't get up, you're going to lay there in defeat. And it's not God's will for your life to lay in defeat. It's your, God's will for you to get back up. When my one friend used to say, if you can look up, you can get up. We have to be, we have to know, we're all going to face hard knocks in life. Crowds that don't like us, people that talk bad about us. I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, I, I don't talk a lot about that stuff in the pulpit, but we, Sharon and I, we've had tons and tons of stuff that have tried to discourage us from being in ministry and to, and to be Christians, family members that turned on us, said crazy stuff about us, lies that were told about us, people that just didn't like us. But here's the thing, no matter what, we always, no matter how bad it gets, we get back up. We get back up. I love this, uh, this passage uh, this is so powerful. Um, this is out of the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 28. And uh, I, I want to read it to you out of the Ben Campbell Johnson translation. Jerry Savelle shared this with us. And, uh, and here's, here's what it says. And I, I know you're looking that verse up, but just write it down if you would, because I want you to hear this the way it's written in this particular translation. Don't, don't let your adversaries frighten you. Because they'll assume you are a phony. Don't let your adversaries frighten you. Because anybody got any adversaries? The devil is your adversary. If you can't think of any people, the devil is your adversary. And here's the thing. And I wrote this. I have this written down in my Bible. Look, if you're not rejoicing, the devil thinks he's winning. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. Look, if you're walking around all sourpussed and upset and angry and frustrated and boo-hooing, and all, look, and we all have moments when we all get that, but we get up. But if you're not rejoicing in life, the devil thinks he's won this over your life. How does that make you feel? I'll tell you what, it ticks me off. I'll just be joyful just to, in spite of that. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. See, the enemy always knows that something big is on the way in your life. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows. And in fact, I like what Dwight Thompson said one time. He said, an attack of the enemy is a signal that something is known by Satan that you don't know right now. See, are you under attack? That means the enemy knows that there's something about to happen in your life that's good, that's going to propel you forward, 
But what he's got to do is convince you you're never getting out of where you are. You're never going to change. Nothing's ever going to get better to get you to lay down. See, the, the enemy can't beat you unless you lay down and stay down. Unless you lay down and stay down. But I want to tell you today that there is a force that is greater that's pulling you up than the force that's trying to keep you down. There is a power that is trying to get you up and off the ground. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've talked a little bit about this before, but there have been times in my life where I have, lay, where I have just flat out Get just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go forward. I don't, God, I don't want these kids of mine anymore. I'm not sure I want the wife you gave me. I'm not sure I want this church. I don't want a pastor anymore. I'm just going to go sell shoes somewhere. And while I'm laying there groveling and all my stuff, all I hear is from heaven, get up. Get up. What in the heck are you doing? Get up off that floor. Stop talking like that. Don't look, you're giving into this. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's just look, the adversary is just trying to convince you you're never it's never going to change. To rob all the hope that you've got from anything getting better. This passage says, look, in Philippians 1:28, don't let your adversaries frighten you because they're going to assume you are a phony. The courage. What is courage? Courage is that we, look, doesn't mean we're not afraid. It just means we've chosen to act in the face of fear. The courage that you display will also increase your own confidence in God's liberating power, and it will be an omen of your adversary's defeat. See, when you get up, when something knocks you down, when you get hurt, when you get knocked back, it it takes the wind out of you. It happens, but here's what also happens. When you get back up, it increases your confidence that God is able to bring you through whatever you're going through. When you get back up, even though the, even though the report may have been terrible, and you get back up and you say, God, I'm, I'm going to fight through this. You might have a down day, but don't have a down week. You might have a down hour, but don't, don't let it turn into a day, into weeks, into months, into years, because that's the enemy's assignment against you is to shut you down and put you down. Greater is the force that lifts you up than the force that's trying to hold you down. Don't you for a second believe that your adversary is greater than your God, because your God is way more powerful than your adversary. It takes nothing for him to shut the devil up. What he needs is for you and I to take a stand and say, no, I'm not staying down. I'm not letting this win. This will not take me out. Hallelujah. He knows your answer is on the way. He knows something's coming. Your financial breakthrough is right on the horizon. He knows. The enemy knows all that. They see. He knows that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. That your kids are going to run down the aisle here or some other church and repent and turn to God. He knows that your husband's going to come back to the Lord. He knows all these things. Amen. He knows those things. The enemy knows and he doesn't want you because you're standing in the gap. 
You're building the gap, and in that midst of that gap, the enemy's saying, no, we got to get that person in the gap, the person that's bringing heaven to earth. we got to get them out of the way. That's you. He knows that financial breakthrough's about to happen. So what does he do? He says, you're never getting out. It's never getting better. Let's break something else, right? Let's bust something else. Let's make something else not work right. Let's take all their resources. Sharon and I, we have been in, there have been times in our life where we were flat broke. I mean, we had, we had nothing. I remember when Angeline was, I mean, we, she had been in her bike wreck. We had, we had no money. The, the church wasn't paying us, and we were just scraping by the best that we could. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a really tough time in our life. We started getting the hospital bills. And we were like, oh, my goodness, how, we'll never be able to pay. How we pay? It was a $10,000, $8,000 bill, I think it was, $8,000, the hospital bill. And this is back in, like, 19, I don't know, 92, yeah, around there. And Cher and I, we're just, we're heartbroken. We don't know what to do. We're begging, we're pleading with our creditors for mercy. We're just like, we'll do what we can, but we don't, the, the surgeon said you could pay $25 a month until it's paid off. It's okay. But the hospital kept sending us bills. And Sharon and I, we just determined that we were going to obey God. We were going to serve God. We we're going to continue to tithe. We we're going to continue to give our offerings. And we got a letter in the mail. One, uh, I forget what day it was, but we just went out to get the mail, not expecting any kind of anything. And it was a mail from the hospital, a letter from the hospital said, your debt is completely paid off. You owe no money to us at the hospital. Now look, to us, maybe that wouldn't be a big miracle to you, but to us, that was a huge, because when you have nothing, I don't care what the amount is, it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. But you got to get back up. You can't let fear win. You can't let your adversary make you afraid. You just stand up to that adversary and say, no, 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 you will not win. All right, number two, I can't, I can't, I got to move on here. Number two, association always determines location. Association, your associations will always, I learned this a long, long time ago, culture will always override vision. I don't care how great your vision is, if the people around you and the culture around you is negative, it will always destroy the vision. It will always lock it up. You have to build good culture around yourself. You've got to get the right people around you. Um, you know, when I talk about people like Dr. Barkley, you know, who is a man of God, who fights, I've... You, you know, look, he and I, we've been through a lot together, Jim Crabb, some of these others. The, the reason that I'm with them is not just because they stayed with me, but because they have something in their life I need. I need that out of their life. You build the wrong culture around you. You know, look, when you become a Christian, you have a group of friends, okay? You have a group of friends that maybe they're not all Christians, can I tell you a little secret? Even though you're, they're your friends still, they're your evangelism group now. They're, look, they're not your culture anymore. Just because they're all doing a certain things that you guys used to do doesn't mean you're doing that with them. The culture now for you has to change. You have to build new associations because your associations will determine your location in life. You have to build the right associations, the right associations with, this is, this is to me is a, is a paramount thing. 
You know, Paul talked about in Thessalonians 5.12, he says, look, we beseech you, brethren, to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and those who admonish you. You need to know, look, the people that you're associating with, are they people that are going to help move you forward or are they people that are going to hold you back? A friend of mine that I, uh, he was extremely successful, multimillionaire, lives down the road from Celine Dion. I mean, has a huge mansion. And I asked him the question, I said, how, his name is Paul. I said, Paul, how is it that you broke away? How is it that you move forward with all the negativity? He stuttered. He had a stuttering issue. Um, he wasn't good in school. He was a dropout. All these problems. I said, how is it? He said, because I broke away from the culture that was holding me back. I stayed away from the people that only saw me as a stutterer, that saw me as a broken down dropout out of school, and I made associations with people that were where I wanted to be. I got around people that I wanted to be like, positive people, people that would, and he even told, he said, look, my mom was one of the worst ones who was negative and would put me down. He says, so I moved away, I love her, but no longer did I look to her for advice and no longer did I talk to her about my, what was going on in my life. Because your associations will determine your location in life. You know, you have to be the one that knows those who are around you, who are laboring around you, the associations. Who are you connecting with? Who are the people you're connecting with? And I'll just put this one in because I just feel this is extremely important. If you're thinking about marriage, if you're thinking about getting married, you make sure you make the right choice. You say, well, how do I know it's the right choice? They love God more than they love you. And if they don't love God more than they love you, you're heading for a mess. You make, you make sure they love God. I've watched more people, Christian people, lives go down the toilet because of their choices in marriage. Ministry-wise, I've watched ministers just totally lose their ministry because, you know, their wife wasn't or husband wasn't on board with what they were doing and spoke against it and was negative about it and just constantly pestered him about it. Your marriage can make or break you. Thank God I married up. I did. I married up. I mean, I'm telling you, I married a woman who, uh, his, she, she knows how to pray. I married a woman that loves God more than she loves me. Thank God. I mean, especially when I'm being a total jerk. And I know that's hard for you to believe I could be that way. But, but I mean, there are times that, you know, I have my moments just like everybody else. But she prays. She loves me. She believes God. She knows when I'm so de- that I'm having such a hard time getting through something that she comes right. I mean, I, I can't tell you in the wintertime, I've, I told Mark and Jeannie about this. Man, I mean, when that polar vortex hit and I'm out there feeding those animals, and I mean, it's 15 below, and I'm out there in that barn by myself. Can I tell you what joy it brought to my heart to see my wife come out there in her coat and hat and gloves and say, let me help you? You say, well, that's not a big deal. I'll tell you what, it was a big deal to me. It, it, was like, it was like a breath of fresh air. And in a barn, you need a breath of fresh air, believe me. It's, it, it, I mean to tell you, it can, get, it can get pretty rank in there sometimes. And some of it's not all the stuff that animals are putting out. Some of it's your attitude. So, I mean, I, she came out there and she helped me and she, she came out for several days to, to help me or she made my breakfast so when I came in, it was all made up. And man, I mean, it just, look, your associations determine your locations. Choose right. 
especially if you're not married right now, just say, God, I, all I'm asking, the, the looks thing, that's going to change it. I mean, look, marry somebody you can look at, all right? Because you're going to have to look at them a long time. My philosophy is, if you want to know what your wife or husband's going to look like when they're, when they're older, look at their mom. I told my mother-in-law the other day, I, she, she said, we're just so blessed to have you as our son-in-law. And, and my father-in-law was like, yeah, thank you for, you know, they just think I'm just so, one, thanks for taking Sharon off our hands. And, you know, and I mean, they just think I'm so great. And I said, well, here's how it worked. I said, you know, I heard that if you marry a woman, you ought to look at her mother. And if her mother looks good at an old age, your wife will look good at an old age. And I said, mom, you look great. And, of course, you know, her little face beamed, and she's like, oh. Yeah. Looks change through the years. Can I just leave it at that? Is that all right? So here's the thing. Marry a man or a woman that loves God with all their heart. Because if they love God with all their heart, all the other issues will all work themselves out. I promise you. I promise you. That is the key important thing. Make sure that you connect with a pastor like this pastor right here who's going to help keep you on the right path, who's going to tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it, who's going to love you, who's going to protect you, is going to stand for you. I know, you know, people, my, uh, Pat, Dr. Barkley talked about this last night a little bit, but you know a true pastor will lay down his life for the sheep. And, uh, you know, those of you that know me and know my life, look, I, my, this church is my highest priority, and I would fight for these people. I would fight to protect them. I fight to keep bad doctrine out of this place, goofiness, weirdness, and, uh, and still have the move of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, Pentecostal people can be some of the weirdest people. Amen. Some of the weirdest. But I'd rather have, listen, I'd rather have a little fire than no fire at all. Amen? So you have to choose the right associations. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I'm married to the right person. Well, listen, let me just, get the, you're in, so just stay in, okay? You get on your knees and start praying and fasting, and you work on you and don't worry about them. You deal with you. You be the best husband you can be. You be the best wife that you can be. You fall in love with Jesus as much as you can in your life and just leave the rest to the Lord. He'll take care of that. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. That was awesome. Don't start looking around the church for saying, well, that, she loves God more than this woman I'm married to. Well, that stop that. That's, uh, that's spiritual adultery. All right. Number three. Are you ready? If you can't live... Without your past, you might as well plan on living without your future. If you can't live without your past. You know, I have a lot of stuff in my past, good and bad, just like every single person here. And if you can't, look, I can't live off my past. I got to live off today. Amen. I got to live off today. I don't want to be one of those people in my life, and I don't want you to be one of those people that all your spiritual life is, all your life is a reflection of where you've been. Well, I remember when. I remember when. You know, I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do... Look, start today and start doing some stuff that you can be proud of in your life today. Okay? Do it today. If you can't live without your past... Because look, I, even if there's good things in your past, 
That's all behind you. Now, the really bad thing is, is, is that when we look at folks and their past is still working on their present, it's still robbing their present. You know, I've shared this before. I'm, I have no shame about this. I was molested, sexually molested multiple times as a kid. But look, that doesn't have anything to do with who I am today. Okay? Could I let it? Absolutely, man. I could live in bondage to that. I could walk around wounded and sad and bitter and angry and, oh, you know, my dad left when I was eight and all, on and on. And all the stories that I could tell of all the people that I want to blame for why things are. And look, were they wrong? Yes. But so what? Look at your neighbor and say, so what? Because what does that have to do with you today? You say, well, that's not very sympathetic. No, look, I've been through it. I, I'm sympathizing that you've been through it. But here's what I know. There's no way out of it except to get over it and to start looking forward. Because what we don't learn from in our past is destined to repeat itself over and over and over. Stuff that we've done, stuff that's held us in bondage. If we don't learn that that does not belong in my life, it'll just try to creep into your present over and over and over and over again. If you can't live without your past, you can plan on living without your future. Man, I believe with all my heart, you've probably heard me say this, my best days are ahead of me. I turned 61 this last Thursday, and uh, I'm telling you, my best days are ahead of me. I got 59, no, yeah, 59 more years to total fulfillment. That's 120, right? Did I do my math right? Thanks. You say, well, pastor, you don't know. You know, you get up in the 80s, it's going to be tough. Well, you go ahead and plan life the way you want to plan it. That's fine. But my plan is, and if it's tough, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up. I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to do what I can do. But see, that's a determination you have to make in your life now, don't wait until you get there to try to figure out what you're going to do. Now, your best days are ahead of you. And here's why. Because you can't do nothing about the days that are behind you. Look at your neighbor and say, your best days are in front of you. If you can't live without your past, you can plan on living without your future. And then the last one, number four. <laughs> and I... I this is another great revelation Jerry Savelle, I received from Jerry Savelle that just changed my life. Supernatural increase only comes by giving supernaturally. By giving supernaturally. Supernatural increase comes by giving supernaturally. You say, well, what does that mean? Giving supernaturally means you're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't matter whether you're a young kid, a teenager, you're 20 years old, you're 40 years old, you're 60 years old, or you're 80 years old. The number one way that God will speak to you, the number one is in your giving, how you give. And see, why he does that is because he knows how close money is to our hearts. Everybody here need money? Let me see. Everybody? Let me see. Look around now. Come on. We'll make sure. Everybody need it? Yeah, you're going to buy some food. You're going to buy, pay for your utilities. We're all grateful we got a car with gas in it out there, or a truck, right? All of us have needs. But here's the thing. What we have to realize is for us to increase, 
in life, super, now I'm talking about with God's involvement, is by when we listen to God. When we do what God tells us to do in our giving. Now that can be, that can be being someplace and the Lord told you to buy somebody's lunch. Or it could be someplace where the Lord told you, you see that homeless guy over there, I want you to give him $10. Or do you, you know, the, this widow or, or this mother trying to raise the kids on her own. Whatever. It's you listening to the Holy Spirit and doing it. Now, if we preconceive in our heart already, we say, well, I'm not doing anything, then look, we're not going to be able to move forward, increase supernaturally. There is a law of seed time and harvest. And what we have to recognize for us, and I've recognized this, is the only way that Sharon and I have been able to move forward financially in our lives. We've, we're hard workers, but I know lots of people that are hard workers that never get ahead. Working two or three jobs and they're barely getting by. Supernatural increase happens because we listen to the Lord and we obey God in our giving. I, I wish that hard work in the world was enough for a reward, but it's not. Real increase only happens spiritually as you and I do what God says to do and we obey Him. This is out of the, the Passion Translation, but Proverbs 11.25. Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. And the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. And the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings, who pours out his life to pour out blessings, will be saturated with favor. Supernatural increase comes by giving supernaturally. For years, I thought increase happened because I worked hard. I really did. And I mean, Sharon will tell you, I have never been a lazy man. I have worked. She'll tell you that many times I was at the office in the early morning. I come home late in the evening. Um, you know that even today, I'm up at 5.30. I don't shut down until about 10.30, until I just basically can't go on anymore. I'll go all day, work all day. I'm on the phone or texting or studying or something, connecting with someone from 5.30 in the morning until late at night. Now, I'm not able to stay up as late as I used to. I'm finding that sometimes I need a little more than six hours of sleep. But look, if hard work was enough, okay, then I would be, I would be a wealthy man because of hard work, but that's not what it is. The blessing of favor comes through obedience. It really does, obedience. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. It comes through obedience. So I'm, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to stop the sermon today without giving you a chance to be obedient, okay? Now, we did a parking lot project. We did awesome. We raised over $18,000. Man, that's, that's pretty amazing. Amen? But in the midst of that, we had a flooding issue. All of a sudden, we had all kinds of problems that were happening. Our back classrooms were flooding, so we had to put new tile in. So that cost us about four grand, which would have cost us about ten to twelve thousand had we not used in-house labor. Thank God for people like Tim Clark, Johnny Myers, who let us use his uh, his uh, excavator, Chuck, who organized everything. I mean, 
you know, praise the Lord for Ken that came in and drywalled and Stevie that painted and, and all the people that worked. A lot of people did stuff. I'm not saying all the names. But that, that would have all cost us a ton of money. But we were able to do the whole thing for under four grand. So hallelujah. We saved a lot of money. Our church is amazing like that. I tell pastors, you know, they're like, well, how much did that cost you? I said, well, we spent, we just basically bought materials and the people did all the work because the people at Amazing Grace are absolutely phenomenal. And we have a lot of talent and we just release it. But we still had, in the parking lot, we had about six grand to still, we had uh, about six grand to still cover out of that project. And then we had the 4,000 that we've added on top of that. So I just want you to get in faith with me. So so just everybody relax for a minute, okay? I'm not taking pledges. I'm not asking. I'm, all I'm asking you, I'm not going to do an auction offering here or anything, okay? I'm just saying, all I want to do is ask you, would you be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit? That's all I'm asking. It wouldn't do me any good to preach this sermon and then not give you an opportunity to put at least part of it into practice. So what I'd like you to do is we'll use the parking lot in this project that we've done as our point of contact to just get that paid off. Now, I'll do this again next weekend because I know some of you, maybe you, got some, you need some time to look at your stuff and see whether you can do anything. But, but if you can, I'm going to give you the opportunity. And today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, lay, I'm going to have specific people. I felt this in my heart that there were specific people that needed to lay hands on you as you give today. All right? Now, everybody can come up and get prayed for if you want to. Okay? But that doesn't mean you're being obedient to what the Lord's telling you to do. So I want you to be obedient and listen to the Lord. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the children, sons and daughters of God. So we're going to get in a place where we listen to the Lord. So I want you, everybody, bow your head with me right now, if you would, all across the building. Uh, online as well if you want to get involved in this. And I want you right now, if you would, just as you open up your heart to the Lord, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, these are your children, sons and daughters. Lord, you know what they've got. You wouldn't ask them to do anything they couldn't do. Uh, you can only give what you already have. And so, Father, I pray for them that you, by your Holy Spirit, are speaking to them about what they can do. Sharon and I have prayed. We've asked the Lord. We're going to obey what God has told us to do. Father, I pray for them that they're hearing your voice right now. So just in your heart, you don't have to say this out loud. You're just saying, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And uh, then I want you just to do it. Now, some of you, this will be brand new to you. You've never done it before. Uh, some of you, this is old hat. You've done it before. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we honor you. Jesus, we give you glory. And we thank you, Lord God, that you speak to us right now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, if you would. It, and Greg and Joanne, would you come? Could you help me out here today, please? And Mark and Jeannie and Joe and Suzanne, okay? Now, I'm only using these six people as representatives because, you know, in the Bible, it talks about people that have the gift of giving. And these guys are, they have the gift of giving. These, these people are not wasteful with their money. <laughs> I know them very, very well. 
They're not wasteful with their money. They are frugal and they're givers. They are people that have given. So what I want to do is I want to make a tunnel. Okay, can we do that? So Mark and Jeannie stand right here. Joe, come on forward. Okay. You stand right there. There you go. Good. There you go. Awesome. Now, there, you're going to cut. What we're going to do is, is that I'm going to ask you right now, if you go ahead. Now, if you can't prepare it this week, and we're doing the prayer this week, so this is when we're doing this. So I'm just telling you next week we'll mention it again, but we're not, we may not do this next week. So if you're going to do something, just obey the Lord, okay? Do what you can do. If you can't come up here today with your offering, don't feel like you can't get in this line for prayer. I want everybody to stand up. They're offering envelopes in the back of your chairs. You know how this all works. And uh, what I want you guys to do is I want you just to release, you know, you know how you look at money, right? You, you, I mean, you look at money, diff, you guys look at money because of the gift in your life. You look at it a little different than just like blow it everywhere and spend it. You look at it like put it in the bank, let it get interest, make investment. You look at it in ways that, you know, you're not thinking about every time you get a hundred bucks going to McDonald's. Or do you, Greg? No. No, right, no. <laughs> no, no. And thank God for it. See, they, they have, a, and I believe this, they have a gifting in this. Now, there's others I could have called up here that I know of that are here, but, but this is enough for, for today. So uh, if you would like them to lay hands on you and just to release that blessing, what you're releasing is the favor, okay? The favor and the giving. And that's what you have, the favor and the giving, Lord. As they honor your word, I believe favor is being released into their life, Lord God. Now, we always want to keep in mind something that we're giving towards, that we're believing. Sharon and I, you know, we, we have specific things that we're believing God for. Are you coming up? All, you ready? Yeah, she feels I've talked long enough, so it's time to. <laughs> Did you just clear your voice because you feel that way too? Is that it? Uh, it's all right. Amen. So Sharon and I are going to go through this. Come down this aisle, if that's what you're going to do. Get in, get in the aisle here and come through, and, and then you can go back to your seat. You can be formally dismissed after this. Huh? Can I pledge you can pledge it if you want to. I'm not asking for pledges, but you can pledge it if you want. Write it on the envelope, okay? That's fine. That's why the, next week you'll make good on it. That's great. Put that at the end, please. We'll go first. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.